This is a Spirit of Truth Radio Network original program. of the Knights of Columbus, then May 27th was a, an important day. It was the day that the Vatican announced that Father Michael J. McGivney, founder of the Knights of Columbus, was elevated from venerable servant of God, blessed. And to, tell, to talk to us today and to tell us about that process and more about Father McGivney is Brian Caulfield. Brian, welcome. Oh, th- nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And as always, my producer, Dave Imhoff, who will be sharing some of the uh, uh, duties on, on this side of the microphone. Hey, Dave. Good evening. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm, I'm doing well. Brian, I want to start with you. Father Michael Jamin McGivney was quite an extraordinary man. Um, he was going through uh, what we're going through in his lifetime. He went through a pandemic, which unfortunately took his life. Um, but what are some of the, the the, the heroic virtues that he demonstrated in his lifetime that are being recognized today. Yes, well, thank you. Uh, Father McGivney uh, lived in the late 19th century. He was a priest of the, of the diocese then of Hartford, uh, born in Waterbury, uh, grew up in Waterbury, uh, the oldest of 13 children, uh, seven of whom survived to adulthood. Uh, he was... Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, the family was large and his parents were Irish immigrants. His father worked in the factory in Waterbury. And after uh, Michael finished his uh, schooling at age 13, uh, he went uh, to work in the factory also in a spoon factory in Waterbury. And uh, he worked there for three years. And then uh, he finally was able to hear God's call. It was uh, to the priesthood, but, you know, it was a difficult decision because as the oldest boy, the oldest son, uh, obviously he was expected to help uh, support the family, the large family. Um, and he went through seminary and uh, in 1877, he was ordained a priest uh, in Baltimore, actually. He had studied uh, the only uh, seminary at the time, Catholic seminary at the time in the U.S. was in Baltimore. So he graduated there, was ordained by uh, Archbishop Gibbons, who later became the first cardinal of the U.S., and then returned to Waterbury uh, to uh, have his first public mass. Uh, Father McGivney, uh, his father had died while he was in seminary, and, you know, we think that this is one of the experiences that, uh, that shaped Father McGivney's life, uh, having the father die at a young age and the family, you know, left without their breadwinner. Uh, fortunately, uh, with the many McGivney children, they were able to chip in and, uh, you know, work and support the family. Uh, but as he found out in his priesthood, there were many families who would lo- lose the breadwinner and would not uh, be able to support themselves. Um, So he was assigned to St. Mary's Parish, which is still there in New Haven. And uh, 
he was an assistant priest. And uh, there was a great amount of anti-Catholicism at the time. This is the 1870s, 1880s, and know-nothings. Uh, there would be uh, advertisements uh, for jobs, uh, you know, with Irish need not apply. Uh, there was anti-immigrant uh, kind of uh, sentiment, certainly. And the Irish were not looked as very uh, promising uh, immigrants at the time. Uh, but uh, Father McGivney uh, went on to uh, found the Knights of Columbus when he was still an assistant priest in the basement of St. Mary's. In, uh, well, the first meetings were in late 1881. He gathered together uh, some of what we call the go-ahead uh, men, the Irish men of the parish and of the city. And uh, these were men, you know, who were moving ahead uh, by, you know, sheer hard work and ambition and, uh, you know, obviously staying close to their faith. And the amazing thing is, is that they saw in this young priest, only 28 years old, 29 years old, they saw in him someone who could be their leader. And these were men who were, uh, you know, had uh, professional jobs. They were in police service. They were in lower levels of government. Uh, one was uh, the head of the New Haven jail. And so these were men who, you know, had professions and older men, some of them were uh, Civil War veterans. Uh, the Civil War just having ended uh, less than 20 years earlier. Uh, so it's amazing that they saw in this young priest someone who could be their leader. And uh, so I think there was something about Father McGivney that would draw people to him. Uh, there was a great, he, he, he was known as someone who was reserved, but also someone who didn't uh, hesitate to speak up uh, when the occasion warranted. Mm -hmm. So he got these men together and eventually they formed what they called the Knights of Columbus. Um, you know, I know Columbus is not very popular uh, in popular culture these days, but you have to understand he was uh, the foremost Catholic figure in America at the time, recognized by all people as heroic uh, in, in discovering uh, the new world and going forward uh, mm -hmm. with that. So by using the name Columbus, the, the men were saying, we are Catholic. And in fact, you know, Protestants remember that uh, you wouldn't be here if it weren't for a Catholic uh, hero like Christopher Columbus, and that Catholics could be good citizens as well. Let me ask you a question. The political and social climate back in the 1800s was very much about secret societies. Now, the Masons were, were very, very popular, as they are still are today. Um, did Father McGivney take that into mind to create some sort of a, uh, an organization to keep Catholics from going to become Masons? Yes, so that was one of his stated uh, goals. Um, he said we need to, f to found a Catholic society, benefit society, uh, to discourage Catholic men from joining certain banned secret societies, meaning mainly the Masons, um, and offer equal, if not better, uh, benefits. You know, and at the time, ba basically these were burial benefits. Um, as I said, you know, especially the immigrants who are working very hard jobs on the, uh, on the railway, in the mines, um, mm -hmm. and uh, 
you know, many of them were dying young. So, uh, excuse me, that's my phone. And uh, so they, uh, so Father McGivney wanted, it was really a two-pronged thing, to keep men from joining uh, these societies and to uh, help families, uh, especially uh, when a breadwinner died young, they would have a, uh, uh, a benefit. You know, uh, at that time, I think it was 500 or $1,000, which was a lot of money, mm -hmm. um, you know, for a family to the widow and uh, to help, you know, with the children also. And in that day, if, if, if a widow could not show that she could uh, provide for her children, um, you know, the good, uh, uh, friendly uh, Protestant societies would uh, uh, see that these children were provided for in a good Protestant family. And of course, that meant the loss of faith for these children in many cases. So mm -hmm. that, that was a big concern, Father McGiffney, that men would not join these societies. But he understood that you just couldn't preach, don't join these societies. You had to give a practical uh, you know, way for the men to get the benefit that they would from these societies and still remain close to the Catholic faith. And that which, was a hallmark of Father McGivney was, which shows, he just didn't preach. It shows how forward preach. thinking he was. He showed men how to live the faith and he gave them the opportunity, uh, you know, the practical way of solving their problems. Mm -hmm. But again, it's, it shows how forward thinking he was because so many years, decades before Vatican II, um, Father McGivney was putting the laity in charge of um, church functions and, and uh, making a way for, for, for us to really live, be able to live the true Catholic life. And that's very true. Another good point. Um, as you said, you know, Vatican II, with its uh, teaching on the universal call to holiness and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the lay vocation, you know, we understand now that, you know, okay, the holy vocation of priesthood and religious life, but also every, every Catholic has a vocation uh, to marriage, to consecrated uh, lay life, mm -hmm. uh, to single life. And Father McGivney saw that. Um, you know, the amazing thing is, uh, you know, when they formed the Knights of Columbus, and our founders' day is March 29th, so that's the day we remember each year that the Connecticut State Legislature recognized the Knights as a uh, insurance entity in the state. Uh, when he founded them, the, the men, the 24 men, acclaimed him. They wanted him to be, you know, the head, the, what we would call today the Supreme Knight. And he said, no, no, this is a lay organization. I don't want this to be another clerical organization run by the priests. You know, I'm here to help. I'm the spiritual director. And they said, well, look, you know, you're more organized than all of us, and you're very good with handling, you know, the money of the parish. At least we'll make you the supreme secretary. Uh, and then, you know, kind of until we get on our feet. And he agreed to that. Mm -hmm. But to two years in, when he saw the Knights are on a strong footing, he actually wrote a letter to a Supreme Knight, uh, James Mullen, and said, uh, I am, you know, resigning my role as Supreme Secretary. I will be Supreme Chaplain, which is more in keeping, you know, with my clerical uh, status. Mm -hmm. So I think that was amazing, especially in that day, you know, where kind of the Irish Catholic priest was, 
you know, all things to all men. You know, he was mm -hmm. he was the he was the priest of the parish. He got people jobs. He, you know, was your spiritual aid. He, you know, he, he filled like every need of, of the immigrant people. And here was Father McGivney saying, no, no, no. This is a lay organization and it will be a lay organization. Um, you know, priests are welcome, the priests are chaplains, but uh, as far as the organization and the leadership, this is a lay organization. And, and we see that right to this day. Well, it speaks to the man and his humility. Yes, uh, amazing humility. Yeah. And, and a few personal notes, if I may, about Father Henry oh, Gibney. I was absolutely. just talking to, just talking to some uh, people who work at the Supreme Council where I work and about Father McGivney, in fact, planning an issue of Columbia Magazine on Father McGivney. And he said, you know, what is it that really, it's some of the personal things. There was a, a blind man, I'm not even sure he was Catholic in that day, who would just come to St. Mary's to hear what he would say, that voice. He just wanted to hear that voice. It was so, you know, it was firm, but it was comforting. You know, it was challenging, but it was encouraging. You know, all these things that Father McGivney had. And there was another case of the uh, James Chip Smith. Uh, he was someone uh, who had uh, mistakenly, or maybe he was drunk, and uh, the local policeman was trying to, uh, you know, bring him into the paddy wagon, as, you know, they would call it in those days. Uh, kind of a, uh, not a, a great term. But uh, so Chip pulled the gun out of the cop and, and shot him with accidentally or not. Of course, he was arrested, put in jail in New Haven. And Father McGivney visited him, Chip Smith, uh, on death row almost every day. And, you know, this young man, he was like 22 or 23, uh, he turned from a very hard, you know, away from the faith uh, through uh, Father McGivney. And, you know, he said on the day he died, Father McGivney had mass celebrated right in the cell. And Chip said, you know, don't, don't grieve for me, Father, it's through your ministrations, your, your uh, you know, priestly ministrations that I am confident of heaven now. And, you know, I, I have no fear, you know, going to the gallows. So, and uh, another story that's kind of very touching is uh, one of the daughters of the prominent Protestant minister in New Haven, uh, Elisa Harwood. Um, Unbeknownst to her parents, she was uh, sneaking off on Sundays and going to St. Mary's to hear Father McGivney. Um, eventually, he received her and baptized her into the church. And eventually, she told her parents, you know, which was kind of a scandal. Obviously, the most prominent Protestant minister, his daughter, uh, joining the Catholic Church. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, there was the, as we said, the flu and, you know, people that know antibiotics. So this young lady... Uh, died at a young age in her 20s and uh, you know she was lying in the uh, in the home you know kind of for people to visit and uh, you know the mother said well you know we really should invite that young priest to come you know our daughter we know was Catholic and maybe he you know would have some ministrations some prayers that she would really want him to be at her side so they sent a message and Father McGivney went into the big estate house, it's still there, uh, you know, adjacent to the uh, Protestant church right on the New Haven Green, the most prominent church in Sydney. And uh, by all accounts, you know, just very humble, you know, thank the 
you know, expressed his condolences, you know, made no sense of like he was coming in, you know, uh, as a superior. I uh, very humbly said the prayers of the dead and, uh, you know, left and gave his, he said, and his parting words were, if there is anything you would ever need from me, do not fail to call, you know, the way they spoke back in the mm -hmm. 1800s, you know, especially in a formal situation. And, uh, you know, Mr. Uh, Dr. Harwood, you know, the minister, actually wrote about that, you know, how impressed he was by this young priest who just uh, by his very attitude and his humility uh, just gave comfort even to the parents. Wow. So those are just some of the very personal stories that uh, have come down about Father McGivney. And, and you know, Brian, I don't think that the stories end there because I'm looking at the uh, Father Michael J. McGivney Guild newsletter, which I get. Yes. I, I'm a, and I believe you're the editor of it, aren't you? I am. I am the editor of that newsletter. I, I work uh, at the, uh, I'm vice postulator uh, for the cause, which means I help, uh, you know, investigate any miracles. I help promote the cause. I work full time at the uh, Supreme Council headquarters in downtown New Haven. And, uh, but yes, I, that's one of the things I do is put together the newsletter. Well, I'm looking at the one from July through September, 2020. And some of those personal side notes that you were just talking about, Father McGivney, how, how he was so involved with, with individuals. Um, it, I'm, I'm looking at the favors reported from the, in the, the newsletter that you published. And, and there's some really, really stunning stories of, um, you know, this COVID-19 recovery. Um, there's a mutism and autism uh, story here. Um, well, I think this, what you're hitting on there, Dave, is who Father McGivney is for us today. Exactly. I mean, we know back in his day what a wonderful priest and a wonderful minister of God that he was and comforted people and gave the sacraments and, you know, gave last rites to the dead, to the dying. And, uh, but, you know, we, we have to know that, especially now with this miracle, uh, that only God can pr produce a miracle, as we know, through the intercession of Father McGivney, that this is a, uh, you know, that God has confirmed that Father McGivney is indeed among the blessed in heaven. And Father McGivney is indeed a worthy intercessor, someone we can call upon uh, in, our, in our needs. And I always say to people, you know, with the Guild, we want to hear about, you know, not just your miraculous things that happen or amazing things that happen, we want to hear about the everyday things that happen through the intercession of Father McGivney. Oh, sure. And, and, and you have this some of those. Yeah, these may never, you know, we know that they will never be considered miraculous by the Vatican. But that doesn't no. mean that Father McGivney was not involved and that he, he isn't uh, still. So I want to encourage people, if you're not a member of the Guild, go to fathermcgivney.org website. Uh, you can sign up right there. It's free. Uh, you get the quarterly newsletter that uh, Dave was just uh, talking about. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, resource on learning more about Father McGiffney and about his work today in the world and in the lives of Catholics. That's fathermcgiffney.org. Um, also, you know, a great benefit uh, if you're a member of the Guild, um, you are remembered every week in a prayer, in, in a Mass, offered by Father uh, Gabriel O'Donnell who was the original postulator uh, for the cause. So all you have to do is put in your name, address, 
and uh, you know, press the send button on the website and uh, you're a member and you will be remembered weekly. Uh, and then you also can send in, there's a button there on the website to send in petitions and we get some every day. You know, people as serious as, you know, uh, cancer, you know, very serious cancer and other things, you know, looking for a job, someone hoping to sell a home, um, someone just wishing to pray that their son or daughter will come back to the faith. These are the kind of uh, favors that Father McGivney is famous for. Yes. Um, so we know that, that Father McGivney will be... Um, there will be a mass for his, his beatification, yeah, beatification. And we're expecting to have that when and, and possibly where? Yeah, we're expecting to have that in the fall mm -hmm. um, and in Hartford, possibly the cathedral. Um, so, you know, this is all in the planning. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of learning that, you know, get finding a, and getting a, a miracle approved is one thing, but trying to get everyone together on the same page as far as location and date and time. Um, which which one's harder, Brian? <laughs> I won't say, but uh, no, we're working, everyone's working together on this, which is which is very nice. The Archbishop, right. Archbishop Blair and his team. And then of course the Supreme Knight Carl Anderson and, and our mm -hmm. team with the Knights of Columbus. So we're working together. Um, so, you know, the mass, the mass will be in the fall and it will uh, do the elevation, you know, and uh, Father McGivney to the, to the role, to the state of blessed uh, beatification. Uh, that's mm -hmm. one step before canonization, which is sainthood. Um, in order to reach that level of sainthood, uh, we would need another uh, approved miracle. And usually the miracles, you know, today are almost exclusively some sort of medical, physical healing, um, which was the case. Uh, actually, we should talk about the miracle that's bringing Father McGiffney to this uh, point. Um, so the miracle that uh, was approved by Pope Francis on May 20, or announced May 27th, uh, I call it uh, the perfect Knights of Columbus miracle. I mean, there's no question about Father McGivney's intercession on this, which it's a number of points that the Knights are very dedicated to. We mm -hmm. have our ultrasound initiative, you know, where we, uh, pregnancy centers uh, promote, you know, show women, you know, who are thinking about abortion, their unborn baby, and many of them change their mind with God's mm -hmm. grace. Mm -hmm. um, so this miracle involved an unborn child uh, in the womb of its mother, uh, and it was discovered through ultrasound at about 19 weeks uh, that this uh, child had a fatal condition called fetal hydrops, where the major organs filled with fluid. Um, it was such a severe case that the doctors, and this is down in Tennessee, uh, at a prestigious uh, university hospital in Nashville, uh, the doctors, you know, the highest level doctors there examined the case and they said, you know, this child has no chance. Uh, we've never seen such a severe case of high drops. It's a late onset. He also has coarctation of the aorta, which is uh, complicating. And he also has trisomy 19, uh, which is Down syndrome. So uh, they, they advised or they uh, uh, offered uh, early termination, as they put it. Uh, we know is abortion. Yeah. yeah, that's what they do. Of course, this was a good Catholic Knights of Columbus family. The father 
actually is a, a general agent uh, selling insurance, you know, for the Knights of Columbus. Mm -hmm. Of course, they declined, uh, you know, the offer of early termination. And uh, they said, whatever God wants for this child and for our family, you know, we will accept, but, you know, we're not going to take any action against, you know, the, the birth of this child, the life of this child. Yeah. So, uh, yes, and then they started praying to Father McGivney. You know, they've already had a devotion to Father McGivney. I should mention that this is the 13th uh, child for the, uh, for the family. Uh, the mother was 43 years old at the time uh, she was pregnant. And uh, of course, they had many children at home, a couple of children already out of the home, you know, grown and off on their own. So this was uh, an older, an older couple? An older, you know, uh, what would they call it? Uh, that's a risk factor, as they will tell you, 43 yeah. years old uh, pregnancy. Um, probably not too surprising that there were some complications. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, this, you never, some woman delivered at that age with perfect, uh, you know, no yeah. health issues. So, uh, so they went through, they prayed to Father McGivney. Um, and uh, a couple of weeks later, when they went for another visit, uh, there was a doctor who had not seen Michelle. Her name is Michelle Shackle. Had not seen her, was a part of the team you know, looked at the ultrasound that the expert ultrasonographer had done and, you know, looked and said, oh yeah, 21 weeks. Well, the baby's coming along pretty well. Uh, looks like a perfect baby. And Michelle kind of said, uh, doctor, do you know who I am? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Are you the, yeah, I'm the one with the high drops baby. And she said, I don't see any high drops here. You know, and high drops is, is uh, diagnosed through ultrasound. So then they call the ultrasound technician back in, you know, let's do this again, <laughs> again, you know. So then they called in, you know, the doctor who had seen her before, who was the chief doctor of the department, neonatal department. And uh, uh, she said, wow. And Miss Chell said, well, you know, we've been praying for a miracle. And they said, well, I think you've gotten it. You know, so then, Beautiful. you know, it was amazing. The child was delivered a few weeks early, 31 weeks, not because of any uh, high drops or any fatal condition, but because there looked to be a lack of blood flow uh, through the placenta that might have compromised the you know, child's health. So they delivered early by cesarean, amazingly, uh, Michelle's first cesarean out of uh, 13 deliveries. And uh, the child had Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. Now when and coarctation, which is a narrowing of the aorta. So at seven weeks, you know, they kept the child in the hospital. At seven weeks, they did surgery on this baby to, uh, to correct the, uh, the aorta. And uh, he survived that and, you know, eventually went home, I think, after 10 or 11 weeks. Uh, the family lives outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Obviously, uh, a little piece of land with many children uh, running around. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, I heard about the story as vice postulator, uh, you know, through our insurance people. And they said, why don't you investigate this for a possible miracle for Father McGiffney? So I went down to Nashville and visited with the family. And so I think Michael was just, they named him Michael McGiffney Shackle. His middle name is McGiffney <laughs> in, in, honor, in honor of, uh, of Father McGiffney, obviously. And uh, so I met with the parents uh, Daniel and Michelle Shackle, and uh, I said, well, you know, one of the questions that's going to come up when, uh, when they do investigation at the Vatican 
is why was this child healed only of one condition? And this child had, you know, also had uh, trisomy, Down syndrome. Why was he not healed of that? Is this truly a full and complete healing? Because that's one of the conditions of, of accepting it at the Vatican is that the healing has to be spontaneous, full, complete, and lasting, right? So I said, mm -hmm. they might ask, you know, why was he not healed of that? And they looked at one another, like almost in disbelief, like, how could he ask this question? And I'm thinking, oh gosh, did I hit on a sore point? You know, is this like this point of contention between them? And they turned to me and said, literally in the same voice, we never prayed that he be healed of Down syndrome. We thought it would be a blessing for our family because these children are so full of love that, you know, sometimes yes. we're worried that with such a big family, we don't get to express love enough in our family. But now mm -hmm. we have little Mikey and he's going to be like uh, a little bundle of love. And it is, they call him little Mikey. I've seen a video, uh, you know, I've met him since then, been down there. Um, and he's influenced the lives of his older siblings. Now get this, one daughter who had just graduated high school uh, this past spring, she's going to study uh, to be a special education teacher because oh, of Mikey. She said, I love these children so much. I wanna take care of them. Mm -hmm. And one of the boys, uh, who's uh, I think a year or two older, last year he had entered uh, college seminary in Texas um, at the University of Dallas, uh, thinking, you know, of a call to the priesthood. And he says, I never would have thought that this was possible until Mikey came into my life. And I realized that our life is short. We need to choose the highest good that we can in life. And what higher good is that than to serve the people of God through the priesthood? So, Thanks be uh, to God. Yeah, it's, be amazing. To God. it's an amazing story. So what is a lot it? of a lot of good. I'm sorry, Dave. Go ahead. No, just 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 kind of sum up. Uh, you know what? What are the knights? Knights are involved in ultrasound, right? Uh, mm -hmm. This was a diagnosis to ultrasound. The knights do amazing work every year with uh, mentally disabled children. You know, children with uh, Down syndrome and other conditions like that, the Special Olympics, yeah. and all of the other services we do. You know, this child is a Down syndrome child. Uh, the knights are involved, of course, in the insurance and the father is an insurance agent helping families uh, protect uh, their, their families in the, in the event of an early death. So these are all Knights of Columbus issues that, uh, and of course the unborn, you know, respect turning down abortion, um, you know, that, that's our pro-life apostolate. So those four things. Mm -hmm. So this is a Knights of Columbus miracle. Well, our Down syndrome brothers and sisters really, like you said, they do show us un, uh, just unbelievable amount of love. I mean, they're, they're, they're just the happiest people, you know, and uh, hats off to the people at, at the Knights of Columbus that, that uh, work with the Special Olympics. So, yes. Yeah, we, um, we, will not, we will not let these children, you know, fall through the cracks. No. And no. Uh, it's been a great devotion of so many nights and our Supreme Knight, you know, the, the ethic of life and support of life. You know, when we realize, you know, you just can't tell a woman, you know, don't have an abortion, you know, in the spirit of Father, may give me finding the practical uh, solution, you know, to a seemingly uh, 
insuperable problem, right? So we have mm -hmm. the ultrasound initiative. We have, you know, the homes that take care of women uh, who have a, uh, a crisis pregnancy. You know, yeah. so many support that the Knights give uh, to the pro-life and to women who are experiencing problems of this sort. And uh, so again, and as I said, in the spirit of Father McGivney, who, you know, who always found, you know, if there was a problem that might take people away, that might lead them to sin, that might, uh, you know, destroy their faith. He said, it's not enough just to preach to them. Don't do this. You have to give them a practical solution that will help them do the right thing and grow in virtue. Correct. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to talking about the, uh, the Father J. McGivney Guild um, with Dave Imhoff because Dave has, um, he's really been promoting it. Uh, Dave's a district deputy in the Knights of Columbus. And uh, Dave, what have you been doing to uh, promote the, the guild? Well, <clears throat> uh, we, we certainly wanted to build up uh, the membership in the guild. Um, and uh, we, we tried, well, we, we've, we had basically, I'll call it a uh, membership drive at our parish. Mm -hmm. um, and um, this happened actually just as COVID-19 hit. We were planning on uh, having pulpit talks at all our masses and having a table set up um, you know, in the, in the hall after, after mass and, uh, you know, explain about, uh, the guild and how it would help, um, uh, the cause of Father McGivney. Mm -hmm. And, um, so as it turned out, um, that got preempted by COVID-19. Uh, we ended up doing that virtually, which actually led to, uh, I think this conversation, we, we, you know, put, um, some notice in the bulletins uh, about the the uh, Father McGivney Guild and asking folks to sign up and how they can sign up. Uh, but the um, business uh, manager uh, at our uh, at our parish said, "Hey, why don't we have some kind of a recording or something that somebody can click on and listen to? Because everything was virtual. You know, we're we're just streaming masses. We're." Our bulletins are online, et cetera. So he said, hey, why don't we uh, click on something? So, uh, and that's how we uh, led to this conversation, Brian. That's kind of the background. That's uh, how that, that kind of started. Uh, but uh, the question I'll ask you, Brian, is um, how is the membership in the McGivney Guild important to the cause for canonization for Father McGivney? Could you explain that to us? Yes, well, the... Uh... It shows, the membership in the guild shows popular support and popular devotion uh, to Father McGivney. And we have just about 175,000 members. Uh, you know, so this has been going on for 20 years. Uh, you know, the cause was opened in 1997, so 23 years. It shows you that, uh, you know, patience and hard work uh, pay off. Um, so the membership in the guild is important also for people who are praying for the cause. So when you join the guild, you get a little starter package. And uh, what you get is uh, a little life history and uh, of Father McGivney. You get a prayer card for the prayer of canonization of Father McGivney. Uh, you get a booklet uh, telling a little bit about you know, who the Knights are and what they do. And also about St. Mary's Church 
why that is important in the history of Father McGivney and the history of the Knights. So joining the guild, you know, it's, uh, as I said, it's, it's no cost. Uh, you get many benefits. And perhaps the greatest benefit is knowing uh, that you're part of this great cause of this great American, you know, American-born priest uh, who is going to be honored uh, very soon in beatification. And God willing, you know, your prayers uh, will combined will lead to the second miracle that's needed uh, for canonization. We're very much looking forward to that. Dave, I'd like to ask a, a, another question, O'Brien, and and, and that and that is, as it seems you're you know you're well into this the whole process here uh, for the cause of canonization for Father McGivney, uh, Brian. Uh, can you give us insight? Are, are there other miracles, proposed miracles that are in the works? Uh, more one, more than one that are to the Vatican or something, or is are you, would that be um, Tipping the hand or uh, too, too much. <laughs> well, well, that's that's a good question, and uh, you know, you get asked that a lot. And uh, the thing is, when when uh, the miracle was approved uh, back in May, any other miracle or you know uh, that we might have thought of proposing for a second miracle, that gets wiped away. Um, the clock starts again, in a sense. So as of May 27th, um, anything we had, you know, holding in, in the background, uh, you know, like if this one didn't go through, we would propose the second one. Um, that's null and void now. We can't, we can't dip back to that. We have to go forward. So, uh, so we're hoping very much, you know, for a report, you know, soon, you know, we learn that it does take time. Um, but, uh, you know, to answer your question, question directly, even if we did have something that we thought was a miracle and the holding as our like number two miracle, um, it wouldn't count. Uh, it's just, it's start over a clean slate and which I think is good. I mean, you know, if I learn one thing, you know, being vice postulator over these years, it's that the Vatican's uh, standards are very high and understandable because they don't want to approve something that may, you know, be questioned, you know, and and also it's very thorough. Um, you know, we uh, we put forward. You know, I first learned about this uh, miracle in 2016. The child was born what May 15, 2015. I first learned about it early 2016. I went down to visit the family mid 2016. Um, we realized that yes, this would probably be something that the Vatican, you know, would likely approve. Um, and then in Nashville, that diocese had to hold what they call the tribunal, which essentially is a, a court hearing, calling witnesses. Uh, they called the parents. They called, they have to prove two things. Uh, one, one is a medical issue, that this was indeed a healing that's not, that's a, that does not have any natural or medical or scientific explanation, right? And the doctors don't have to say this is a miracle, right? All they have to say is we have no medical explanation for this. It's totally out of our realm. It was totally surprising. It was totally, you know, not expected, things like that. Uh, does, it have to be a, does it have to be a medical 
issue? I mean, it doesn't have to be a medical issue, but that seems to be almost exclusively what the Vatican considers because, uh, you know, with medical things, you have a lot of empirical evidence, right? You have diagnoses, you have CAT scans, you have ultrasounds, you have, you know, medical, expert medical opinions. You know, you have all these, you know, like you're building a, uh, a record. You know, with other kinds of miracles, let's say, uh, you know, what, what would, you know, like a, an emotional healing or someone, you know, who won the lottery, you know what I'm saying? Uh, these things are, are hard to prove, um, that it wasn't just chance, that it wasn't, you know, something natural. That So I would have to say, you know, almost exclusively when you read about these miracles today, at least, um, they go with the medical because there's just so much evidence Mm-hmm. And it's irrefutable, you know, when you get like three or four secular doctors at the secular hospital saying, you know, we have no explanation for this. It just, it just shocked us out of our boots, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty good testimony. Sure. So once they get so the medical. You yeah. won't find a, a uh, like a St. Reader of Kasha who brought, you know, dueling parties together. You, you won't find a social issue to be miraculous. Yeah, I mean, you could try, but you know, where would you get the absolute proof that there wasn't some other explanation? Right. Right? So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, just to answer that question, yes, uh, for whatever reason, and I think for the reason that, you know, these days that medical procedures are just so exact, precise, and documented, mm-hmm. it's, it's the most, it's the strongest. Um, and, and after you get the, uh, the medical issue, then you have to look to the issue of intercession. Was it truly mm-hmm. Father, okay, this was a miracle, but was it truly Father McGivney's intercession? And, mm-hmm. you know, this can be a, a sticking point too. Then you have to have people testify, you know, uh, people closest to the issue. Uh, I prayed to Father McGivney. I prayed exclusively to Father McGivney, right? I didn't slip in St. Anthony you know, uh, at, you know, I prayed to Father McGivney in the morning and at night, you know, prayed mm-hmm. to St. Anthony, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the only exception to that is, is you can pray to the Blessed Mother, because she's assumed to be the intercessor in all, you know, miracles, you know, since all mm-hmm. prayers go through her, the mediatrix of all graces. Um, so if you say, I prayed to Father McGivney, to Jesus Christ, to God, my Father, and the Blessed Mother, okay, that's fine. But if you say, well, I prayed to Father McGivney, but, you know, I also prayed to St. Anthony and St. Joseph. And Saint... No, no, no. Okay, that's not, that's not going to fly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I always tell people, you know, who say, how, how can we get, I say, well, do two things. Be healed of something very serious with there's no explanation. And two, pray to Father McGivney exclusively and the Blessed Mother. Brian, uh, um is it one person praying for the intercession or is it multiple people or, I mean, well, if they, one, you know, if two or three people prayed uh, exclusively for Father McGivney's intercession and then other people prayed, you know, to other uh, saints, uh, yeah, how's, that? I mean, how's that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a judgment call. I mean, you know, in the, in the Vatican for the medical thing, they have a team of medical experts you know, from the medical faculties of Rome, you know, study the case once it's presented and they make their decision. And then it will go to the 
to the theologians. And they would be the chief theologians from the pontifical academies in Rome. They come and they study that aspect of it. And they only get it if, if the medical people, like the first hurdle is the medical. Just look, if, if it's not a miracle, there's no sense in, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's not a medical miracle, there's no sense in trying to figure out whether there was intercession. Um, so then it goes to uh, the theologians. And okay, this is a judgment call to some degree. Okay, they want to look at the main actors in the case. In this case, it would be the parents, right? Did they pray exclusively to Father McGee? What evidence is there of that? Luckily, uh, Daniel and Michelle, um, you know, made notes about this, and they sent emails to people uh, about, we are praying to Father McGee, please join us in doing this. Daniel, mm -hmm. of course, sent an email to all his agents in Tennessee and said, you know, here's the case with my son unborn. You know, we're praying for a miracle. Father McGee, please join me in that. Michelle homeschools, not surprising with 12, 13 children, right? She's in a home, but she's in a homeschool group, you know, in many families. And mm -hmm. so she sent out an email to her whole network of homeschool moms. You know, this is the thing, pray to Father McGivney. And then they all sent back emails saying, we're praying to Father McGivney, blah, 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 blah. And this is before they even knew about, you know, it had to be exclusive. So we have all that email testimony which is wonderful, right? Um, you know, in other cases I've read about, you know, there's a healing, okay, you know, maybe the person prayed, who's the Father McGivney, his wife, his children, you know, his immediate family, and that might be enough. You know, just the core people who are involved and most interested in the case have to testify and prove in some way that their intercession was Father McGivney. So, you know, if it happened that, you know, your friend down the block happened to pray to St. Anthony. Well, that's not really too connected to the case, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a judgment call. And of course, you know, like all intercession, um, you know, the people closest to the case are the ones who are most responsible and, you know, for this. Yeah, I was just thinking about um, when you know, more, more than one person, multiple people, if you get all kinds of people like uh, the general agent, you know, shared it with his, uh, you know, field agents, et cetera, et cetera. So he tried to get a lot of people uh, to pray. I, I, I have a, a friend of mine that, that just recently passed away from uh, cancer, kidney cancer, and we were praying for him. And, you know, we were asking, um, and when it was diagnosed, it was stage four, it was metastasized. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we got the council praying, uh, he was on the list, but we would specifically pray for, for Mark, etc. Uh, you probably, I don't know if you can answer this question, but maybe you could comment, you know, so, first of all, you, you, you pray to F Father McGinney for his intercession, but of course it's God who performs a miracle. Right. Uh, Father McGivney, if he hears, he, you know, uh, you know, you know, goes and petitions to, to God to, you know, perform this miracle. Um, but more people praying, you know, is, is it more loud or, you know, is that, <laughs> is that helpful or, uh, or maybe it doesn't matter, but um, I suspect that Father McGivney in, in this case uh, hears, hears us and intercedes for us, um, um, but it's up to God's will. Uh, that's actually in the prayer um, you know, it's up to God's will, 
as to uh, you know if if uh, his servant is glorified here on earth. Um, uh, any comments on those those thoughts, Brian? Well, I mean, look, uh, getting more people to pray is always a good thing. Um, you know, obviously we know, uh, in a sense, like all worthy prayers are answered. Um, so I would never discourage anyone, you know, like, you know, don't get involved because it might hurt the cause or something. Um, no, I would say that the more people involved in praying, that's why we encourage membership in the nights and membership in the guild. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but, you know, as we know, it, it's a mystery. It's ultimately up to God's will. You know, why does one person get healed and not another? Uh, why does, you know, one, you know, I, just I don't know how much more time we have, but, uh, you know, part of this process has been there have been two cases that have gone to the Vatican previous to this uh, that were not, you know, they, they got knocked down in the first level of the medical commission. Uh, they were not deemed, you know, uh, miraculous. Uh, you know, there's one case of a uh, Dominican brother who uh, had cancer and was actually in hospice and was healed. Um, but that case, you know, was, was not accepted at the Vatican. And a second case that I was directly involved in very much was uh, a, a night in the Philippines. Uh, I had to go over there and, and you know, uh, investigate this whole case, but he had been, it, it was a dispute. He's a fisherman out in, way up in the Northern Philippines on the South China Sea. And, uh, you know, he would go out and they had like fishing uh, areas and uh, he was accused, which wasn't the case, but because he caught more fish than his neighboring, you know, in the other, you know, fishing wells that uh, they accused him of stealing. And so they sent gunmen and, and shot him. He got shot 13 times at uh, point blank range. Um, he survived and he was a knight and, uh, you know, he prayed the whole time. He had the Knights of Columbus Rosary and he prayed the whole time to Father McGivney. And he's back fishing now, but that was like nine years ago. Uh, this happened. Uh, we thought it was miraculous, but uh, there were just too many, you know, uh, I guess there were too many questions about, you know, what caliber of gun, what kind of bullet, where was he hit exactly, um, that that was turned away. Um, so I think it gives strength to the fact that this miracle went through, um, you know, because there were two other very strong cases that, you know, I'm convinced were miraculous, but maybe just didn't meet the high standards. Uh, didn't have enough proof. Um, so to me, there's no question about this one. You know, uh, they approved it almost unanimously. And uh, the theologians, you know, it was it was a slam dunk on the intercession. So uh, so I think we can all take heart from this. You know, if you want kind of a you know, what a takeaway from this is that, you know, uh, as Knights of Columbus, as Catholics, um, we can seek the intercession of the saints. Uh, we are heard, you know, whether our prayers are answered in the way that we want. Um, at least we know that we are always being heard. Take consolation in our brothers and sisters in heaven who have gone before us. Um, mm -hmm. I think of Father McGivney as really, you know, I worked so closely on his cause as really a friend. You know, I could almost hear his voice sometimes. And, uh, you know, he's the first person I think of when, you know, a problem comes up. 
you know, all I just say is, Father, give me help. <laughs> you know better than I do. Bring this before the throne of God. And uh, so we can really look, especially as Knights and as Knights families. Um, this is really a uh, everything that we know, have known about Father McGivney has now been confirmed uh, by the highest authority of the church. And uh, we can look forward to him being blessed, Michael McGivney. That's wonderful news, Brian. I usually close um, usually close with a with an Irish blessing, but I, I think tonight I'd I'd really like to uh, close with the canonization prayer from Father McGivney, and uh, it goes, "God, our Father, protector of the poor and defender of the widow and orphan, you called your priest, Father Michael J. McGivney, to be an apostle of Christian family life." and to lead the young to the generous service of their neighbor. Through the example of his life and virtue, may we follow your son, Jesus Christ, more closely, fulfilling his commandment of charity and building up his body, which is the church. Let the inspiration of your servant prompt us to greater confidence in your love so that we may continue to his work of caring for the needy and the outcast. We humbly ask that you glorify your servant, Father Michael J. McGivney, on earth according to the design of your holy will. Through his intercession, grant the favor that I now present. I'd like to present that there be some, some holy resolution to the unrest in our country. Brian, would you like to make an intercession? I'd just like to intercede for all those who are looking for consolation in life and through the heart of priestly heart of Father McGivney, they may find it. David, and for my my brother Mark, who has passed, um, I ask for the repose of his soul and that he's welcomed uh, into heaven uh, by Father McGivney and Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. 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 In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Guys, I just want to say one more thing before we, we uh, say goodbye. Um, I became a knight because Michael J. Ciencielo, um asked me. And I also became a member of the Father McGivney Guild because somebody asked me. So let's ask somebody to become a knight. Let's ask somebody to become a, a member of the, of the McGivney Guild. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you tonight, Brian. Well, thank you, Dave and Dave. Quite a show. I appreciate it.